it's important. I want to go with the drink of the spirit part two, if I may. And um, because I hope my message impacted you last week. Thank you for your feedback. I received a lot. And, uh, but I really am hoping that, that it actually changes your life. Um, I will be talking about it. So if you weren't here last week, do not worry. Because for me, it's an absolute vital thing that we learn that Christ and the Holy Spirit are our only source of satisfaction. And it must be that way. Otherwise, you're not fully living in what God has promised. And you'll always be wondering why your life feels not quite there yet. And, And I just feel like it's so important. But I know it's one of those messages, nice to hear, then go home and actually do nothing with. And so I really felt like I wanted to go again and push it to you and, and challenge you to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the person that says my life is completely devoted to God. I'm going to be that person and I'm going to learn to drink of the Spirit. And I'm going to hopefully today help you understand a little bit more about what that means and why we do it. Is that okay? But first of all, let me remind you of the brilliant passage that Emily actually reminded me of in John 19 verse 28. It's not going to be on the screen because I just, just added it. John 19 28, Jesus Christ is being crucified. And he's literally on the cross in this bit of the passage. And as he's on the cross, he's just taken on the sins of mankind. And he's just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting, right? Jesus Christ said, my God has forsaken me. The reason he's saying that is because in this moment, he is feeling the fullness of sin on his life. And he's separated from God by that sin. And he's never had that before in the whole of existence. And so he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's because sin has blocked it. So you could argue that this was Jesus at his most human. And what is then fascinating is then Jesus says something else, which I believe is such a key to us and it really helps me with my point. Jesus turns to the people around him and says, I thirst. Not I'm lonely, not I'm upset, not I'm hungry, not I'm disappointed, not I'm angry, not I feel pain. No, no, no. What does he ask for? He says, I thirst. The living water himself actually says, I thirst. It is a sign to us. It is a demonstration to us. It is symbolism once again in the Bible. I love the Bible and it's symbolism. Oh man, there's so much in what I've got to share with you today. It just blows my mind. It's the symbolism of when you have sin in your life, you feel a thirst for something more. And he says, I thirst. thirst and so I hope today it might build in you an attitude of saying I I, I thirst I thirst for the Lord that we might even join Jesus in his prayer I just found it fascinating when he did that but I do want to read to you from John 4 today how am I doing for time okay we can do this we can do this together right I've got a long bible passage for you but I know you'd like to hear the bible read on a Sunday it's 42 verses All right, Liam, chill out, mate, calm down. We've got a long way to go. But I, I just feel like it's important, and I want you to get the whole message. And I, I'm also realizing that some people have never read these stories before. And sometimes I pretend that everyone knows, and I, I really want you to hear it firsthand. So it says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples, it's a funny sentence, isn't it? Making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
I'm pretty sure that's what it said. And he, thank you. <laughs> and he had passed through Samaria. Please understand, him going to Samaria is not a good thing. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. We'll talk about that in a minute, but there was a big divide, okay, between them. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, also very important. Remember everything in the Bible? Mm, yes. Jacob's well was there. Hmm, interesting. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, again, showing his humanity, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour again. Hmm. Why does the Bible put the sixth hour? By the way, that's about noon. Okay, very important though. Keep it in your mind. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he was by himself alone with a woman from Samaria. This is reputation PR nightmare, okay? Not good for Jesus. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? See, she knows. She's like, what are you doing? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I don't know, but you could argue that she would have known the phrase living water because it is in the Bible and is in the Old Testament. And she, the Samaritans did know the scriptures. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. <laughs> And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Water of the world. If you try and find, you'll, you'll drink again. You'll need, you'll need another drink. It won't satisfy you for long. You'll get a promotion, but then suddenly you want another one. You'll get some money in your bank, then you want some more. You have one partner, you're going to want it. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? You can never fully find it on this earth. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring. What's the, what's the line? Spring up a well. Spring of water welling up to eternal life and overflowing, bursting the banks. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Do you want the water today? So that I will not be thirsty, oh right, okay, you think physically, or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. I love Jesus, he's funny, isn't he? <laughs> go and get your husband. All right, chill out. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus answered to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five and the one you are now have is not even your husband. Ooh, man, she must be feeling it right now. <sighs> what you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Just avoid the subject. Move on. Our fathers worshipped on the mountains. Samaritans went to worship on Mount Gerizim. They built their own temple because they didn't like the Jews. The Jews went to worship in Jerusalem on this mountain. But you say that Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, <laughs> woman, believe, don't try that, husbands, okay? <laughs> woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about location. You worship what you worship, the Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. 
we worship what we know. Another translation puts this beautifully. It says, you worship in the dark. We worship in the light. You've removed the light, Samaritans, and think that you now know what you're doing, but you're in the dark. And all you then do is follow the majority. When you're in the dark, you just go where it's loudest. Let that sink in for a moment. When people are in the dark in the world, they go with whatever voice is loudest. If you're loudest, then that opinion must be the truth. I thought that was a good point. But we worship in the light. But the hour is coming and is now actually here. Here because Christ himself is actually there. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he is actually going to tell us all about these things. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I feel like it's a bit like Yoda the way he said that, isn't it? He could just said, I'm, I'm actually him. <laughs> I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said to him, what, what, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because you don't talk back to Christ. So the woman left her water jar. Interesting. She came for a physical need, didn't need it anymore. And went away into town and said to the people, oh, hang on. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying to him, Rabbi, please eat. You haven't eaten all day. It's, it's hot. It's middle of the day. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Again, another physical need is met by a spiritual decision. That's, that's a good point. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, guys, guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Let that be your nutrition because bread and water alone cannot keep you but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest? So he's now trying to teach the disciples. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. People are ready to receive now. It's now time to get out there and reap the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent, you, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What he's basically saying is now is the time, people, to get going. The mission is at hand. Stop waiting for a certain age. Stop waiting for a certain gifting to fall upon you. Stop waiting for your pastor to give you permission. If you know you need to get out and do something, get out and do something. Now is the time. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's significant as well. We'll go into that. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days. And many more believed because of his word. And here's what I love. Then the, they said to the woman, they being the people of Samaria, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. You know you can believe because your parents believe. 
You know you can believe because I believe. You know you can believe because there's a good fire and energy at Flow Church. No longer do we believe just because you believe, for we have heard it for ourselves. We've experienced it. I've met him. I've seen his face. I've heard his voice. I've seen him do amazing things. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We could go home there. But we won't. So much symbolism in this story. In fact, this story is very unique in the Bible. It's not actually um, very connected to other stories. Normally, one story in the Bible has so many different verses and connections to all Old Testament and stuff like that, so you can jump around. This one is quite standalone. And it's the reason because there is so full of symbolism by itself, it almost doesn't need to. But it does need some explaining and some understanding. Obviously, it has a surface value, which I'm hoping you all picked up on. But it does go a bit deeper, even into the fact of things like Jacob's well. Did you notice it was set near Jacob's well? Why did they tell us that? Why is it Jacob's well? What was find fascinating about Jacob's well? Not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We do know there was a time that he brought the land. You can read about that. But there's no mention of a special well that they built that did something miraculous. It was just a well that Jacob happened to build. But what I find fascinating about this well, it is where Jesus chose to say, I am the living water. And if you tap into me, I'll never run dry. That's where he chose to do it. And you know what's even more funny about that well now is it is still alive and active. So where Jesus declared, I am the living water that never runs dry, he was sitting against a well that actually will never run dry. You can go to Israel now, you can ask the guy, they built a whole church around it, of course, why not? And you can get a cup of water and you can ask him to go down and pick it up and you can drink of Jacob's well. Israel trip 2021. In fact, this well is amazing. It's actually super deep, 31 meters deep. 100 foot. In fact, you can go on YouTube, type in, people have been sitting, YouTubed it, and they pour a bit of water, and it takes so long to hit the bottom. You'll let like. It takes so long. Jesus announced spiritually, I'm the living water, right next to a well that physically will never run dry. I don't know if it ever will, but I take it as symbolism to the fact that it is still going here right now, that you in your life can go and see the very place that Jesus sat down and declared it. And then what's really the main story, uh, the main thing of this story is this interaction between the woman of Samaria and Jesus Christ himself. And there is a lot in this that I'm hoping will pick up. And what I'm really hoping it will do is it will motivate you to surrender your whole entire life to Christ. So I'm not asking for much today, all right? Just your whole entire life surrendered to the will of the Lord. Easy, all right? Good, fantastic. This woman is from Samaria and she is actually representing in many ways us. In many ways, she's representing us. She is from Samaria. She's a Samaritan. Now, why is that so important? Why do they mention that? Obviously, they mention that because there is such a divide between Jews and Samaritans, but there's a reason for that divide. The reason for that divide is basically the Samaritans have become a Jewish sect, a Jewish cult. They had separated themselves from the main body. They were one tribe of Israel that formed the nation of, uh, of Israel. And then they had separated themselves and they had gone off and done their own thing. They had got some bad kings that led them in some bad directions. They had actually started worshipping other gods. And not only that, but they then started marrying other foreigners and including them into their community, which obviously at that time 
was, was uh, offensive to the ways of the Lord and actually what Lord asked them not to do. So they continually turned away from the Lord. They represent people that were actually chosen by the Lord but turned away from him. She is representing as a Samaritan us because we were people that were actually created and chosen by God but in our lives have turned away from him and gone in other directions. We have gone in other directions to find satisfaction. We've gone in other directions to find hope and to find God and and we've gone in other directions trying to find what we think we need. It is a representation that we are sinners Just as they have made mistakes, just as they have said things wrong, just as they have thought things wrong, so have we. And in this passage, you see something very beautiful happen. You see Jesus come in to this girl and say, even though you've been like this, I want to interact with you. I want to fix this. I want to solve this. In fact, if you go with the imagery of you have been worshipping the light and the dark, this is what's fascinating. It is Jesus Christ coming to those that are in the dark as the light and saying, even though you don't recognize me, even though you cannot see I'm the Messiah, I'm going to come and shine a light for you so that you can have, find a way home. Are you, are you, is this making sense? Are you with me on this? She is representing for us people that have turned away from the Lord. She is the sinner meeting with the saint. And that's where you and I were. But not only is she a Samaritan, she's a Samaritan woman. And not just a woman, by the way, she is a woman of pros- uh, promiscuity. She is a woman been isolated, been pushed away from her own community. We know this because she arrived at the well in midday heat. If you're going to walk a mile to get some water and then carry that large jug on your back, you do not want to go at midday. Why does she have to go at midday? Because the other women do not want her to go with them. Because those people are seen as unclean. In fact, all of Samaria is seen as unclean by the Jews. She's seen as unclean. You don't associate with things that are unclean. That's the Old Testament way. So when the women go in the morning, just as the sun is rising, and when they go in the evening, in the cool of the evening, they do not invite her because they do not want to be associated with a woman that's married five men is now with another one. So you have to go by yourself. So she's then representing for us a desire in us to belong. What kind of woman, and, and do you know what, what I love in her testimony when she gets home to everyone in Samaria, do you know what she, she says, tell, let me tell you about a man who knew everything about me. Tell me, let me tell you about a man who knew me, who saw me, even though I've done all these bad things, somehow managed to see past that and see the goodness in me. Let me tell you about a man that helped me know what it is to belong because you people, she's saying to Samaria, you've kicked me out, you've, you've left me aside, but actually he saw me. She represents for us people that desire to belong, desire for more. I could go even deeper with this. Isn't it funny how we all get so drawn to things and and entertainment that takes us beyond? Maybe for you it's superheroes. Maybe for you it's the Twilight Saga. Maybe for you it's the Harry Potter books. Maybe for you it's sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars. Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's actually the more of the past and the glory days when there was such purpose and such belonging because we were a band of brothers in the war against Hitler. Maybe for you it's that. But we all have this thing and this longing that when sometimes we watch these things, we sense and feel that there is something bigger and beyond us. Is that just me? or 
And I think we could all sense in us, in our lives, that we've had those moments where we've wanted to belong. Even me, I've been brought up in a great family. My mum and dad are my heroes. I love them to bits. They've made me feel so at home in my family. But yet something in me knew and urged for something more. I had a sense of needing to belong. And that woman is that for us. And not only is she representing our sin and our desire to belong, she's representing something else in the way of how many men she's been with. You see, in this moment, she is suggesting to Jesus that he's calling out in her, really. She's saying, I've tried it my own way. I've tried to do things in my own strength. I've tried to find satisfaction in this life as best as I can. Do you know what's really interesting? Have you ever thought about the fact of why they put the numbers of how many men she has? It's not just there so you can know that Jesus is really good at prophecy. It's there for a reason. Do you know the number five in the Bible? Number five in the Bible represents grace. You've had five husbands. I have grace for you. It's a sign of grace. It's a sign that no matter what mistake you've made, no matter how wrong you've got it, no matter how many times you you lied and how many times you cheated, no matter how many mistakes you made, how many sins you committed, there is five, there is grace for you. My friends, I'm coming to tell you today, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir on this one, but let me tell you once again that the mistakes that you are still making, there is grace for you. Do never think that what you've done is so bad that you cannot go back to God. Get yourself back to God because there is grace for you. Okay, it's a number to represent grace. But those, are, those amongst you who are astute will start saying, yeah, but Liam, she didn't have five guys, she had six. Yes, she did have six, but the sixth guy she wasn't married to. What does the number six represent? Man, brokenness, sin. Every time you see it in the Bible, six, it's representing brokenness. That's why the, enemy, the mark of the enemy is 666, if you're interested. It's representing a brokenness in us. She tried it God's way. It didn't work. She's now going to try it her own way. I'm not even going to marry the guy. It's not, it's not working. It's not helping. So you know what? I'm just going to try it my way. And she's representing to us that we have tried it our way. I've tried to get my own satisfaction. I've just tried to make it in the world. I've just tried to keep everyone and keep all the plates spinning. I've just tried to to get the energy and feel a bit more purpose and a bit of satisfaction. She's representing to us number six, brokenness. But those amongst you who are even more astute would actually notice there's not six men in her life. There's now seven. And she has met man number seven. Who's man number seven? This man is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is number seven. What does number seven mean in the Bible? It means completeness, wholeness, perfection. It means God. Every time you see the number seven in the Bible, it's saying that there is completeness and wholeness. It is all of that. It is peace, joy, kindness, satisfaction. It is, as the Jewish people say, shalom, peace in its completeness. She has met man number seven, and this man is completeness and wholeness, and he is going to give to her everything she has been looking for. I love it that she was a product of trying to look for men and now there's a man that's going to come and give in her living water that will satisfy every desire and need in her life. She met man number seven. Thank you. 
Can I tell you to meet man number seven? Meet man number seven for yourself. Meet man number seven. Anything you feel broken about, anything you feel is lost, go to him and he will give you wholeness in that area. She met man number seven. And now as she meets man number seven, it's man number seven's time to speak. And now Jesus illustrates to us some of the, some of the ways that you can interact with the living water. You see, there's an interaction there where it says, you know what, if you want this living water, you can now have it by worshipping in spirit and in in spirit and in, in spirit and in. Now, I love this bit of the passage because I started to question what on earth does that even mean, right? Anyone else, when Jesus says that to you, you'd be like, great, cool, but what, what does that actually mean? Like, what, do I need to go somewhere? Do I need to say, is it four o'clock in the afternoon? That's the time to pray. Is, is it, you see, but what Jesus was doing here is he's actually saying to her, it's no longer about regulations and rules. It's no longer about religious religion it's, it's not about that you don't need to go to a certain mountain in order to worship me he's saying you now need to worship me in spirit and in truth what she's what he's trying to address in her is this attitude that we all carry it's an attitude that we all carry we think I feel a bit broken but if I do x y and z it will result in this it will result in my satin if I make sure I fast and pray and do this thing and this and that then I'll be okay and Christ is saying no 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 it's a lot deeper than that it's not about your actions anymore it's about a heart thing it's about me going deeper are you, am I, am I, are you with me is this is this helping are you? I know it's not the one that you want to stand up and clap but are you with me I want you to worship in spirit and truth. But even then, I'm still like, okay, but God, what? Come on, man. You know, okay, I get it. It's about my heart. All right, cool, great. I, I won't, you know, I won't think it's anything where I have to go somewhere and do anything ritual. It's none of that anymore. But tell me, really, like, what do I have to do? And he uses the word spirit and truth, and I think they're fascinating to use in this passage. And, and people do have different views on it, but I think it's a lot simpler than we actually would give it and intend it to mean. This is the secret, though, by the way. This, this is the passage that's hinting to her how you inherit and drink of the, of the Spirit. This is it. He says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, by spirit, he actually says in another part of the passage, I can't remember exactly where it is, but he says, God is spirit, and we must worship in spirit. What he's hinting at is what he said in John 3. You with me? This is in John 4, this passage. In John 3, he had another discussion with another man. And he said to that man, you, my friend, must be born again. And you're like, what do you mean born again? And he says, what do you mean born? I've already been born of my mother. I can't exactly, you know, and then come back out again. That's literally what he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. You must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit must give birth to spirit. What he is saying to her is if you want to inherit the living water, the water that runs over and never runs dry, you know what you need to do? You must be born again. You must be born into a new life. So those of you who come into church and thinking, I'll just wait till I encounter it and then, you know, maybe I'll give my life. No, no. Give your life and then you'll start to understand what we're talking about. You must be born of the Spirit. But then the Bible says, and truth. I must worship in spirit, therefore I must worship in my new spirit, this new life that I've been given. And then I must worship in truth. What does in truth mean? 
What he's saying to us is as you are born again of the Spirit, you must then live your life by the truth. And who is the truth? What does Jesus Christ say to him about himself? I am the way, the and the life. Jesus Christ said to, about himself, I am the way, the and the life. So Jesus is saying you must be born again of the Spirit and then you must live a life in truth. You must live a life following me. This is it. This is where the Bible says, if you want to inherit the living water, you must give your whole life to Christ. No longer is it just a nice thing you do on Sunday. It's everything that you have. It's an absolute devotion. I'm born again of the Spirit, and then I follow Jesus exactly as he tells me to follow him. Please stay with me. I know time is going, and I know we're all rushing, but this is so incredibly important for yourself. If you can grab hold of this, you wouldn't need me to be here every week because you would get it in yourself. Are you with me on this? Please stay with me because he says you must worship in spirit, be born again, in truth, living with Jesus. And then in John 7, later on, he says you must inherit the spirit to drink of the living water. So what he's saying is you must be born again, live by truth, and then be filled with the spirit because then he says that living water will swell up to eternal life. It will swell up. As you keep walking in truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills you more and more and more and more and more. Not that you get any less of the Holy Spirit when he first comes, but he gets more of you. It swells up in you to a point that even then you spend your whole life swelling up in the Spirit. You spend your whole life and every step you take this like Jesus, you swell up a little bit more until you get to that place that you die in your physical body and then it erupts to eternal life. That's what he's saying. You with me? Yeah. I know time's moving on, isn't it? I know the, ki- the kids work as though, you know, you've got to think about them. But please stay with me. Let me put it like this. I, I, I was at a lad's weekend once, and I was sharing a bed with a friend of mine. And uh, he, he had just had a devastating moment in his life. He, he had just lost a girl he thought he was going to marry. Just lost a girl he thought he was going to marry. And we're, we're sitting there at night. It's probably like 2 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's when the chats get real. And he's chatting to me, and he's like, Liam, I just don't know what to do, man. And I was like, look, man, you can do it. You, you just got to move on. You got to let it go, step into a new season, all this kind of stuff, trying to do my best. And he's like, no, no, I just don't get it. He wasn't talking about her. He was talking about everything. I just don't get life. He wasn't a believer. He was trying church, investigating it. And he was like, Liam, I just don't get it, man. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get this thing called life. I don't understand how to find purpose. I've tried, right? He was rich, successful, good-looking. He, he got the girl of his dreams, and, and yet still was not satisfying him. So he said to me, Liam, come on, man, what do I do? He said, you know, you're a pastor, man. Tell, tell me. And I said to him, I can tell you what to do, and I know the answer. But you won't believe me. And I promise you, that is my challenge even here this morning. I know the answer, not because of anything I've done, because I've just simply read the answer book. But the question is, will you believe me? Or will you go home and live as though you believe something else? You may, don't, you may amend me and go, yeah, yeah, that's truth, man. That's truth. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And go home and act completely opposite to the truth you've just declared. 
so I said to him, I said, I know the answer, but you won't. He said, no, Liam, I will believe you. I said, no, you won't. He said, yes, man, I promise. I promise I'll believe you, because he really, really thought I had something for him. And I said, yeah, I, I, right, I'll tell you, fine, fine. Sit down, I'll tell you the answer. I sat him down, I said, the answer to true satisfaction and joy is complete and utter devotion to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and his face just went, <laughs> he was hoping for a formula. But I said, it's, it's complete and utter devotion. It's everything. That is how you tap into the living water. Born again of the Spirit, follow everything of the truth and let the Spirit swell up within me. Oh. Stop in the name of the Lord. Okay, I'll bring it to a close. I have more on this, but come and ask me privately. The last bit of the passage is one of my favorites. When they say, we don't believe anymore because of your testimony. We believe because of what we've experienced. And so what I wanted to say to you today is get to a place where you're open enough to say, I want to experience it myself. If we had a time, I would have done it here today. And you just got to open up your life and say, you know what, God? If you're real, please. Let's do this. Everything. I'll give you everything if you can just reveal yourself to me. And only you know whether you're really doing that with your whole life and your heart. But if you truly can, live like those people. Do not, please do not live on my revelation. Get taught from my revelation, please. And receive my impartation of what God gives to me. But do not let that be your fire. It's easy to keep warm of someone else's fire, right? But suddenly that person moves. That person goes, and suddenly you're feeling cold. We had this with teenagers all the time. They'd come on a Friday night, they'd be so on fire because the fire is hot. And then they'd go on Monday, it'd be so cold, they wouldn't know what to do. You must experience it for yourself. You must drink of it yourself. Please, please, do not let your kids live off yours. Teach them to have it for themselves. So when they ask you to pray for something, or you just say, don't come to me, come to Jesus. No? Teach them to have their own relationship. Because this is the true satisfaction that we can find. That is how we tap into the living water. You can bow your heads for a second now. I'm sorry for any parents who, the kids may be a little bit disrupted. And if you see a kid's work, will you please just thank them for holding them for a longer? But Lord God, I pray with my whole being and I implore these people that they would truly give their whole lives to you. God's satisfaction will come from nothing else. And I don't want to repeat this message the whole of my life to the same people. God, I pray... Let them be born again. Let them follow everything you command and let them be filled with the Spirit to a place where it is swelling up in their life and taking over every word, every thought, every action, every pound that is spent, every word that is shared, that it's swelling up in their life to an overflowing place. I pray that for them. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said...